Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, welcome to the 284th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Dax Martinez Vargas. Coming in at the $80 level! $80.08. think there's sure. some, uh, some reason he chose that number. I wish that he had gone for $800 <laughs> and 83 or 85 cents. $0.85, cents, yeah. Maybe would have strong, been a stronger joke. I don't need to punch anything up for anybody. But um, but think about the $800 level next time, Dax. Either way, shout out to you, buddy. Thank you so much. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today we have Matt Enlow on the show. And you have me, a sick Oren Kaplan, battling a variety of colds. None of them are COVID. I've been tested three times in the past week, four times in the past week and a half. And so has my entire family. We, uh, the COVID testing people love us. They know us by name. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about things. We have had a lot of Matt and Orrin episodes recently. And, uh, why do you think that is, Matt? I think it's because we are so dang busy. It's really hard to schedule people, which is nice because at least we have interesting stuff to talk about and to relay and maybe turn into a teachable moment or two, or at least a relatable one. Yeah. It's nice sometimes when, we have a variety of jobs to be able to talk about on the podcast. And from a personal point of view, I like it because people are like, hey, you know, I, I didn't know you just were shooting in Kentucky or whatever. I was there like and you kind of grow your network just literally by talking about what you do, which is aside from just shoot it. I think it's the second biggest piece of advice I give to people that are starting out in the industry and trying to figure out how to get hired as directors is. As obnoxious as it sounds, you just got to tell people that you're a director and tell them that you're working and tell them that you're making things. And eventually, when they need something made, they'll be like, oh, hey, you know, Sabrina said that she's a director, so let's hire her. Well, and I think not to talk too much about the nature of the show, but there's a huge difference between adding value to a conversation and bragging about yourself. And so that's what we're aiming to do here and what you should aim to do. You mean you are... Then usually I'm adding value and you're bragging. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Just making sure I understand. It's a, uh, that's the how contrast. It relates to the show. That's the dynamic of the show is that I'm a <laughs> disgusting braggart and you are filled with insight. So it's perfect. Uh, but no, seriously, <laughs> if you're you know self promoting all the time on social media, people get pretty bored by that. But if you're adding to a conversation or asking questions or engaging with people or even just showing uh, a side of filmmaking that people don't often see, you know, people like that. I saw a TikTok today just about like, you know, a type of the the inflatable lights, you know, for like night exteriors. It's like a oh, big, yeah, like the helium balloon, the thing. helium balloon things. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Like, I don't know what that is, but like, I see why people like it, you know? Yeah. So today, what are we going to talk about? We are going to complain about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my specialties, mm-hmm. uh, Matt will probably frame it as uh, lessons we've learned le- recently. And then we're going to talk about potentially the long game of being a director, how uh, how you do this for the long run. And we also have a listener question from Jamie Sadler, a longtime listener. Yeah, I think we'll get pretty technical on that one. So it's a nice combo of a, a handful of different topics. Yeah, but I think we're going to start out with reminding people we have a Patreon. If you would like to contribute $80.08, $800.85 to be even funnier, uh, you're welcome to. It's patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. You can even contribute one dollar. It just uh, honestly is just like the heart pulse that lets us know we should keep making the show. And it helps us pay our editor, helps us pay our 
a zillion fees and some of the marketing stuff we're doing in the near future. And um, yeah, we appreciate it. Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. If you want to give a dollar, four dollars, eighty dollars and eight cents or even ten dollars, which will get you a just shoot it podcast hat. It says just shoot it in big letters. So if you don't want people to know it's about a podcast, then uh, I don't think they'll notice. They'll just know that you like to shoot stuff. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Well, let, let's uh, on that topic. Let's go ahead and move into our first conversation because um, we thought we'd yeah, talk a little. Both been, we've been working a lot. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we've both been working a lot, and uh, I think we're as things are ramping back up, we're getting to compare productions against each other and stuff, and seeing side by side. A lot of times, we're working in parallel on like with various producers and casting directors and location scouts and all those things at the same time. So it's it's kind of fun to have these like side by side comparisons of, of things that we like, like the way we work, they they seem to help us and then the ways that they bring us friction and how sometimes I ha- I'm really guilty of doing this. Like I'll talk to a producer and I'll be like, hey, you know, I'm working on this other project and that producer sends us a summary every morning of what we need to do that day. You know, I'm not saying you should do it, but it, it's really helpful, <laughs> you know. Have you had some recent experiences where you are also kind of like comparing and contrasting various production things? Yeah, certainly. And I, I think that we've had the privilege over the last few years to get really comfortable with a handful of producers who work in similar ways. And you don't even know what you've picked up from them and, and kind of uh, suggested to the other teams and vice versa. It just kind of uh, just feels like, oh, this is the way that I like things to run and that that's how it goes. But I... I have been working so much lately and like, you know, on the topic of kind of like buddying up with the crew, I tend to like, like to chat up, uh, you know, camera always is pretty easy. You know, there's a handful of crew members that, uh, you know, you like to kind of relate to, right? Yeah. Um, the first AC is someone, do you usually know their name? Like, do you, is that somebody that you talk to a lot on set? I will oftentimes it, well, it depends. It depends. A first or a second depends. If they're like, if we're on a job where the crew size is big enough that basically that first is just kind of like buried in a monitor and kind of the main thing they're doing on set specifically is keeping focus and they're just kind of like 
in the zone, I tend to not be able to talk to them because they're not running around quite so much. But like if they're, you know, riding shotgun with a, an operator or something, yeah, I'll, I'll chat them up all the time because I like to be in it. I like to be on set with them for sure. And friendly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess I talk to, and this is, I'm actually curious from the camera operators. Most of the DPs I work with are also operating the camera, to be honest. And I oftentimes talk to the first AC about focus. I'll say like, oh, can you react to this person? And it, I think it's just as acceptable to talk to the operator or the DP about what 100%. should be in focus. But I usually yeah. try to talk to the first AC because it makes me feel like they feel like I'm invested in how they're doing. And and if we do something like, you know, I kind of pivot a lot of times. I'll be like, oh, can you actually pan to the right? And like, as she's picking up this glass, can we go to her face? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind of improvising um, a little bit. Or like, okay, like, you know, you're calling out to the actor. Go ahead and stay on your two so that that AC can grab focus on it real quick. You know, yeah. I, when but you're I, in the it's nice, right? Yeah, but I'll say to the a, to the AC, I'll be like, ooh, that was great, like great adjusting. Sorry, we threw I threw that at you. You know, I kind of try to acknowledge... They they get very little credit when they're doing their job perfectly, you know? 100%. And they get called out in front of the entire cast and crew when they're not doing their job perfectly. And so I try to actively call them out in front of the cast and crew when they are doing a, their job well, especially if it's a difficult one. It's like, hey, we're on a 100 millimeter lens and, you know, someone's running away yeah, from Yeah, they're us. running all over the place and stuff. Yeah. On a slightly smaller, on a different tangent, do you have a move for when you need to do a shot again for focal for focus reasons. Do I have a move? In terms yeah. Like, of, like um, basically like you've done the take a handful of times. The last one would be it, but it was soft and the people, everybody knows it except for the actors. So oftentimes I'll be like, okay, one more. And I never want to say like one more for focus because I don't want to call them out because they've typically been doing a great job the whole time. And you know, yeah, I usually and, say, and they for- say like, Hey, I need one more, you know, I usually say for camera. Yeah. And then I'll say to the first, like, like hey, Mike, you know, do you, did you did that feel sharp to you when, you know, she leaned forward or whatever? And then I try to say it a little bit quieter, but. Yeah. Uh, or even typically <laughs> they'll, they'll even say like, hey, I need one more. But you would never say one more for a better performance, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. No, but I mean, I guess I have two opinions on that. One is I, I won't say focus. I'll say camera just. So they know it's like a technical thing, but, uh, I guess the, the two opinions are one, I, I always like to tell the actors why we're doing another take. And sometimes it's because of the performance, but I just blame the camera and two, and this is like a jerk move, but, uh, I would rather be the camera, have a camera assistant upset at me than an actor upset at me. Right. Well, an angry camera assistant can still. Yeah, they can mess do, things up, but yeah, but they but yeah. but typically they'll do a good job. Oh yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Anyway, back to the original point. My the reason I brought up getting friendly with the crew is that you know you end up like hearing overhearing people saltier older crew members, especially complaining about whatever the last show it is they were on, and like you hear the term thrown around like shit. Oh, that was a shit show. Oh, that one was a nightmare. People say that all the time. So I realized, you know, I, I, I tend to just like roll my eyes at that sort of mentality, right? Because, you know, directors tend to have a better understanding of what all the different crew members are going through because we're interfacing with all of them, more or less, you know? Yeah, or you know, sometimes... We like have a better a, sense of circumstances. Yeah, you know? a quote-unquote shit show might be a shit show because we're doing 40 different versions of some shot that everyone knows is like a dumb shot but they don't know that there's a client over there that like is trying or like a vfx supervisor trying to line up a hand movement with a certain line and it has to be so, so precise or the whole thing right. doesn't work right right but right then the whole crew is thinking that we're amateurs when in reality they don't know the intention of the shot right right exactly hence the eye rolling that you do Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, rather I roll my eyes. I mean, I guess I, I just mean like I want to give those those other shows the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. We, I, you know, it's pretty rare that you work with someone who truly sucks. Yeah. I never roll my eyes. I roll my R's, though, especially if I'm <laughs> doing a Spanish accent. Rolling. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So what? So now you've found out that some shows actually are shit shows? Well, you know, I, I have I, I have given it a little bit of thought and I've, I've been trying to formulate what it would actually take for me to think that something was truly bad. Like what what is my own personal threshold? And I don't know that I've totally formulated it. But, it seems like but, a chart or some sort of a... Yeah, there's got to be like... Diagram, a uh, logic diagram um, that we can create that will help us determine whether a show is actually a shit show. And I think I maybe, for me personally, have figured it out. Because the number one thing that I find frustrating in things is not whether or not someone is good at their job or not, though that can be a, a bit of a challenge depending on the, the piece. But to me, the thing that I find frustrating is when someone isn't trying or picking up on things. You know what I mean? Like when you have to tell someone the same thing three times, like if someone's messing up but trying their hardest and like doesn't make the same mistake twice, fine, totally, totally okay. But I think that there is a threshold where even that sense of openness probably maxes out where if everybody, if there if enough crew members where you hit critical mass, where you can no longer get the thing you're attempt, attempting to achieve done in an efficient, timely manner, because you are thinking about all of the things that you need to fix or anticipate or figure out what you don't realize isn't going to be working. You know, we take a lot of competence for granted, basically, is what I'm getting at. And so I think there's a threshold where you can no longer do your job because of lack of experience or something like that. That would be, I think, my definition of a shit show. If one crew member does that? No, 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 no. I think it has to be cumulative. That's what I'm saying. I think if, like, one person is bad at their job, that makes things worse for sure but if they're teachable then you're good but but oh i was gonna say the thing that's frustrating for me is that i have a very good sense of most of everyone's jobs but there's a lot of invisible work that happens especially in production or places like that where i don't really know i can recognize the the symptom but i can't recognize the cause of what's wrong with it and that that's the source of frustration for me is well, like i can't even explain to you why things are not going right because I don't have a deep enough knowledge set to diagnose the problem. Can you give an example? Yeah, like I think the trickle down of like understanding that a PR, I don't even know. I, I, I don't know what I don't know, I guess is what I'm getting at. But I can I know that there were things that happen behind closed doors or that happen off site that do have ramifications on set for sure. And you're just kind of feeling the effects of them rather than the the lack of organization, for instance, on set. Does that make sense? I guess. No. I, yeah. To be honest, I'm like not really tracking it. I, I guess what I'm saying, like I can think of times where like I can show up and I'll be like annoyed that breakfast isn't ready. Right. And it's not that I'm mad that breakfast isn't ready. I'm a big boy. I can just eat some crafty or whatever. I can eat whenever I want. It's not a big deal. But it tends to be like, oh. That's the final domino in a bunch of things cascading earlier. That means that things weren't scheduled properly. That means that people were late. That means that we probably didn't hire the right people to get there on time in the first place, which means they probably don't, you know, like all of those things, for instance. And so, like, I don't want to be a person who's complaining about something superficial, but it's really more that I'm saying, like, this is an indicator that things could be wrong elsewhere and I'm feeling it and I can't point to what those things are exactly. Well, I'm curious, do you say anything about it? Because I just had an experience recently that was, it was actually food related. I was on oh, a shoot. Interesting. Yeah. And it was uh, an eight day shoot. So you might, you might know which shoot I'm talking about if you uh, worked on it. And we had a part that was shooting remotely and it was already like, or not remotely, out of town on the East Coast. And it was already like tough enough to be traveling and doing all this stuff and COVID and quarantining. And for crafty, all they had was like sodas, water, and then like Doritos, like a bunch of snacks, you know, and I said, I'm usually, you know, I'm not very picky with food, but I said to the producer like that night, like, do you think we could get some healthy food at crafty? And he was like, what, what, what do you, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know, nuts, fruit, like some, something, but I, 
like, I guess I framed it as not for me. So he ended up actually buying me a bunch of stuff from right. me. Right. Right. And you're like, no, it's not that I'm hungry. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I had some snacks on the way over because I'm not going to have time to eat in the first place. Well, but also just this general, like it, it was fine. You know, they ended up adding fruit and nuts and things. But I do think it's important, especially on a multi-day shoot at the end of the day, if you don't like how things were done that day as the director or as the producer, as an actor, as anyone like to come and say, hey, this thing bothered me today. It's not, I'm not blaming anyone. It's not emotional, but like, can we fix this tomorrow? And you would be shocked by how many times I've done that regarding coffee. Like, especially on pretty much every feature I've ever worked on, whether as a director or not. If I had any sort of position of power, a lot of indie productions, like they, you know, especially if the producer doesn't drink coffee or whatever, it's just like not a high priority for them. And you show up to set and there's no coffee or there's no water somewhere. It's like, Dude, make sure we have coffee and water every everywhere. Like that's those are just like the the lifeblood of a production crew. Right. Well, and and so I, let's talk about that for a second, right? Because I always drink a coffee on the drive over specifically for that reason, right? Like because if I don't have a coffee, I'm really really dragging and such a bummer. But we're not complaining about coffee. We're complaining about a indicator that maybe things haven't been thought through or planned as thoroughly as we would like. And that's a really transparent one to us. Right. Like if there's yeah. no coffee. And it's just like the focus thing. It's like saying, hey, by the way, people notice this. You right. Know? Right. But but also like what I'm saying is like if there's not coffee at if everyone's called at the same time, let's say crafty shows up at the same time as the director shows up as the rest of the crew. That means that a lot of people are waiting around for a few people to set things up. If call isn't staggered, then that means that we are wasting at least a half hour of say hair and makeup's time because they don't have power to, to go ahead and get actors through the, through the works. It kind of puts, puts everything behind and we know that we see that and like if that thing hasn't been thought through then what else hasn't been thought through you know what i mean and so so it's just kind of like an early indicator of like oh or or even as simple as like if a grip doesn't get his coffee in the morning you know they're they're already grumpy enough he's gonna fall asleep and they're gonna fall asleep on the job what's um, out of curiosity speaking of set etiquette and call times What's your, if you're producing something, when do you make the director's call relative to the lighting team, hair and makeup cast producers? Because I, I, and I'll tell you why I'm asking this question real quick and then you can answer. But my shoot I just had over the weekend, the whole grip and lighting team's call time was nine, like the production call. Art had a pre-call, you know, hair and makeup came a little bit earlier. The actors were also called at nine. And my call time was 9.15, and I thought that was really odd. Yeah, I think it depends on your style. I like to get there early, you know? And so that's another thing. I like to, like, have breakfast. I like to walk around. I like to say hello to people. I like to, like, clear my head. But come at the same time as the general production call, right? The general crew call. Typically, yeah. Typically, I'll come then. But also, I know that because I'm already caffeinated, I'm ready to rock. I'm, like, when I land... I want to get going. And so if someone needs time to set up tables or unload things or like, you know, juice everything up, that's reasonable. It takes a little bit of time to just get ready for me, you know, or for people, for any, like a, any pe- person who isn't in that initial stage of, of infrastructure. And so I, I try to really be thoughtful about like not putting too much pressure on someone, a production by arriving too early for them to be like <laughs> yeah that's like showing up I mean? to a party before it starts exactly exactly it's like no you guys need time to and being like uh where should i stand right now yeah where, where's the food oh it's not out yet okay. okay yeah yeah can can you start entertaining me now because i'm ready to have fun right you know uh there's a producer i work with a lot uh i might have mentioned this before but he always made my call time for years like an hour earlier than it needed to be because he wanted to make sure I got there on time because he knew me socially as like a person that shows up late to everything. And I got to set on time a couple of times and 
It was like there was no one there. And I was like so mad at him. It's like, <laughs> what is going on here? He's like, sorry, I know you're always like an hour late to things. Anyway, that's yeah, that's a funny story. But yeah, are you still late to things? Besides uh, our podcast, <laughs> I mean, I was a little late to my my nine fifteen call. I got there like nine twenty five, but I try to be early. And to me, the worst thing is to like show up to set and like the camera is pointed in the wrong direction, and they're already art, and everyone's already in lighting is working on that shot. And I'm like, you know, what a waste of time! What a waste of yeah. their time! Yeah, if the camera's not pointing there, or so that's a uh, reason to get there early. Yeah, or that's, I'll like that's just compromise and be like, eh, I guess that's fine. Yeah, you I know? guess we'll start there or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, but if the AD comes over and I was like, hey, Orin, I know we were t- thinking of starting in the other direction, but for these reasons, we changed. Yeah, then it's probably easier. Yeah, and I probably disagree with them. Do you have been, a um? Do you have a, a threshold for? Uh, let's not even categorize it as a, thr- a shit show where you're you feel like you're no longer in a zone where you can do competent or even great work you know yeah well honestly i you know in the the last many years for some reason basically since we started this podcast i've mainly directed commercials or at least something with a client where it's not i'm not the final call on creative decisions and 98% of my frustrations have come from that, from the dis my disagreements with the people who are above me on the food chain and that make that I disagree with their creative decisions, or I feel like we've set, you know, quote unquote vision, you know, I don't love that word, but like a vision for the, for what we're shooting. And then they come in and they start changing, demanding. I change random things that are kind of breaking that vision. But in terms of like on set, honestly, other than like, art wardrobe camera like i don't know i I have a pretty high threshold for tolerating (laughs) like mediocre work and if you know if it's like a sound person and like this hasn't happened in years because i work with like great sound people usually but if like every shot the boom is dipping into the shot or there's like a boom shadow on something like it's clear the you know to me that's an inexperienced boom operator that is standing in front of the lights instead of on the opposite side of the lights then I will start like proactively like fixing it before the problem even happens. Like the second setup, I'll be like, by the way, Scott, you can stand over there. You know, if you can boom from over there, you can do this. And by the way, here's the frame line. And I kind of try to like teach them by talking to them, by, by acting like we're, you know, on the talking the same language. I, I guess maybe you're helping elucidate the thing that I'm really getting at is that like, because I think of that like, oh, telling a boom operator to stand in a certain spot. That's a totally teachable thing. I can work with that person and, you know, in private be like, hey, you know, the reason I keep asking you to stand in these places is because, you know, you keep throwing shadows. And so obviously that's bad. And then they pick, up, pick it up pretty quickly, you know. And the thing that I find frustrating is when it's far enough away from me that I'm only feeling the effects of the mistakes without seeing the causes and therefore can't help remedy them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think something I've seen a lot of, of that falls into that category recently is just like getting notes from people that are not in the room with you. Like how the AD talks to the second AD talks to the producer talks to this. And it's like someone on a walkie is like, by the way, none of what you just shot is usable because of this one weird thing. And you're like, wait, what? Pepsi can was facing the wrong direction. And it's frustrating because I don't know how to fix that. And I'm like, why didn't you tell us earlier? You know, and they're like, well, the zoom was down, you know? Uh, Right. right. Like there's a lot of that type of stuff that I. Well, and that's different though. The the zoom being down. Yeah. That's an example of like, you know, things that outside of your control, like a tear deck busting. Right. Like you had your shoot with a, a, a certain camera that like kept breaking Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the video feed. I would say that it's 50% our fault and 50% just bad luck. You know? Again, if you keep making the same mistakes over and over again, then you need to just, like, get a new piece of hardware. Or you have to diagnose a way to fix it. And, like, in the moment, it's really hard to, like, stop down and, like, really troubleshoot something. And sometimes you just end up limping along through the rest of the day. So it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, 
I guess in, I don't know, in, in my, to conclude my thoughts on this about what makes a show a shit show and just reflecting back on my like last couple of years of shooting, nine out of 10 times it comes from like my disagreement with the, the clients or, you know, whoever I'm, is paying me on, you know, what, how to prioritize things and what we should shoot. And then the other 10% of the time, it's uh, scheduling issues or we've, we've just scheduled way more than we could humanly shoot. Which a lot of times is related to the, the client stuff also, or a producer that is just over-promising. Yeah. 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 So we're like, like being set up to fail, which is usually something that happens before the shoot. And then on occasion, there is, I'll work with a, a technical team, a lighting team, a camera team, an art team that I feel like is is taking a long way to an easy ending. Like, moving all the lights for something where we could like frame them out or cheat or do something, you know, or on the contrary, they'll try to cheat something where I know it's like not going to work because of the way they want to cheat it. So there's a little bit of that, but honestly, I don't feel like even though I complain about, I don't feel like I've been on many (laughs) quote unquote shit shows recently. And I've been on like, I've been on like five person shoots too. And you know, they've, like I'm not saying because because yeah, I work I don't with the, it, the greatest crews or anything. I don't think it has anything to do with crew size at all. I yeah. I, I think it's mostly or just even attitude. I think I think yeah that's even experience yeah yeah yeah. It really it's just like do you have a good attitude or not? That that really is the bottom line. Oh, cool. Yeah, awesome. So hey, we are here with Nate Watkin, the founder and CEO of Assemble. It's a new platform for producers to organize basically everything from calendars to assets to files, sharing video, everything. Nate, tell us what Assemble is, why it's great, and why you made it. Absolutely. Assemble is an end-to-end project management solution for producers. We bring production calendars, task management, asset management, file sharing all into one platform to enable you and your team to collaborate together from the start of the project all the way to final delivery. I was a producer in my past life and I was always using four or five different tools juggling between them or trying to use a generic project management software that wasn't quite right for our industry. And so we decided to set out and build Assemble from the ground up as an end-to-end project management platform specifically for productions and for producers. Yes, I love that. So rather than using a ton of different systems that we've all been familiar with over the years, this consolidates things into one thing that's tailor-made for production specifically. So only features that producers and production need and none of the extra fluff that different industries may want. Exactly. We built this platform from the ground up for producers and every single feature, whether it's the calendars, file sharing, asset management has been built through the lens of a producer specifically for this industry. That's awesome. I love the fact that you can just share documents and edits and things with people and they don't need to have any apps installed or accounts made which is the bane of my existence. So thank you for that. And as a person who just finished delivering a movie, I love the idea of having all of my rap materials in one location. That just makes things especially easy when it's time to turn things over to a production company or a studio or a distributor. Yeah. As producers, I think we're always living across our emails, our phones, a million different Dropbox links and expired WeTransfer links and uh, everything else that's out there. And this is a headache that I experienced myself for years. And so our goal is to bring everything in one place, get rid of all the back and forth email communication and give everyone one centralized place to know exactly where the project stands all the way through until archival. Uh, That sounds really cool, Nate. You said expired WeTransfer link and I blacked out there. (laughs) So I I missed what you said, but it sounds pretty good to me. Well, so if people want to try it out, find out what all the features are and figure out how it works for them, what should they do? Absolutely. You can head over to assemble.tv and sign up for a 30-day free trial. Also, for listeners of this podcast, we're offering an additional one month free. Just use the coupon code JustShootItPod at checkout. So, moving on, let's listen to Jamie Sadler's voicemail. Hi, Matt, Derek, and Sarah. Love the show. Hello, Aaron. Um, If you were working on a project that had boxing in it, and like sort of, if the finale fight scene, obviously more and more damage gets done to the fighters, would you do that in camera with makeup, or would you do that in post? Um, Interested to hear your ideas. Trying to figure that out at the moment. Okay, cheers. All the rest. So thanks, Jamie, for the question. Let's start with your sick burn where he says hello 
to you and Derek and Sarah. Tells you you love the show and then uh, adds me at the end. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Joke's on you. Shout out we to fi- Jamie Sadler. After I heard that, we fired Derek. That would never happen again. <laughs> Just kidding. Derek left us. Um, but uh, but no, thank you, Jamie. Uh, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. So do you use VFX to add to make somebody feel look more and more beat up on their face through a fight sequence? So I have the, the lo-fi, the indie filmmaker approach. I would I have like my thoughts on how to do it. Not even an indie filmmaker, just like the practical approach, basically. And I'm curious to hear how you would embellish this with VFX because I th- I think you and I can both agree that like strictly doing VFX would be too resource intensive. Like unless you're David Fincher doing like blood, like dripping blood or like nosebleeds or like any of that stuff is. Is pretty expensive. Is that right? Or is that an incorrect assumption, Warren? I would say that's kind of incorrect. Obviously, 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 it depends on the footage. Because you see footage of like, you know, Fincher loves to not, he doesn't do any blood resets on anything. It's all, it's all like, if you look at the girl with the dragon tattoo or like gone girl or whatever, girl, girl with a dragon tattoo has like some really great footage of like people just getting beat up. And then you realize afterwards, like, oh, it's all. All of the blood is fake. Yeah. So I think that if your footage has like a ton of light flares, if there are a ton of motion blur, if a ton of things are going in and out, like a boxing sequence like Jamie is referencing, like if you had a shot over the audience, you know, like maybe you're seeing people cheering and it's like over the audience onto the boxing ring and our boxer is there. Like, so there's the ropes of the boxing ring. There's the audience. There's a lot of stuff to rotoscope. There's light flares. It would, it's that becomes a pretty difficult visual effect to pull off convincingly to make it look good is like someone getting punched in the nose and then their nose starts bleeding. Is that not that hard to do with visual effects? I, I would say it's not that hard to do. I, I, not only that, I would say I've done that effect many times. I've added a lot of blood to a lot of vampire movies yeah. <laughs> in my well, day. So that that's really interesting, and I think it is worth thinking through. What what I was going to suggest, and I'd love for you to poke holes in this, is that I would implore Jamie to plan the sequence out, basically, and talk with your uh, makeup artist, and basically figure out the number of stages of distress that your character needs to be in, starting from clean and ending all the way with the most severe and then shoot it in stages, right? Which I feel like is probably pretty obvious, but was worth reiterating of just like, okay, like, you know, go through the beginning of the four fight choreography up until like, you know, a past that the next threshold, go ahead, get back in the chair, make things a little bit more beat up, et cetera, et cetera, and work your way through it sequentially, basically. But with any sort of pivotal shots, transitional shots, in mind in advance and maybe you shoot those with vfx in mind so if you really do if you basically you shoot your coverage with the practical work but if you really really want to make sure that you get an awesome slow-mo close-up of somebody's nose just getting crunched shoot that clean you know have maybe your vfx person keeping an eye on it and then you know try and think of the the practical way of doing that as well do it in two pieces where it's like you're clean on one side and then cut to the reaction where they're bloody, for instance, and then uh, go from there. That's what I would suggest. Yeah, I think that's totally a valid way to do it. I think if I was doing it, I would potential, potentially do the exact opposite. Ooh, I um, love this. Tell me more. Potentially. Obviously, it all depends. But I think if you are doing like, you know, the close-up of the head turning in slow motion and like the spit or blood or teeth or whatever flying out of the mouth, like, as much practical as you can get, it's great. And maybe you'll augment it with VFX or like art direct the blood a little bit or make it go fan out better. But that that liquid sweat, all that stuff, the more you do in camera, the the better it'll look, the more real it'll look, the water droplets oh, oh, will... Sorry, sorry. That's what I was saying. I was saying sp- p- pick the specific moments and then augment with VFX. Oh, not just do them with VFX. Yeah, pardon me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was probably unclear. Great. Well, then we're on the same page, but keep going but, on your on your point. 
all, all of the embellishing VFX with VFX is always the better way to go, basically. Shoot what you can practically. But I, my guess is this question comes from, look, if you have a bazillion dollars and you can shoot for as long as you want, you can do what Matt said, right? That's like the most obvious way you start clean. You know, the three punches in, like he's got a black eye or whatever. Five, you know, seven punches in, like third round three, she's broken her leg and there's like... A... And, and not to cut you off, but also this is the exact sort of sequence that you pre-shoot with your iPhone. This is, there's the previous episode that we talked about. Yeah, do not shoot on Android. <laughs> Whatever yeah. you do. Cut it uh, in advance so you know <laughs> and can talk through pe- with people, this is what you're thinking of doing. But the, And the other thing that's nice about doing pieces practically is that you can shoot coverage and you can find other pieces in the edit. Like you're not locked into that previs, especially. Sorry, as you were saying that, Warren. Yeah, before you didn't mean to interrupt me, where I was going with that is that if you don't have a million dollars, sometimes someone like your assistant director will say, hey, we have this wide shot set up, you know, can we shoot all the wide shots right now? Hey, we have now it took us 20 minutes to switch to the steady cam. You have an hour left to shoot, you know, can we shoot all the steady cam stuff right now? Now we're looking, we have the camera. We only have one camera. It's rigged above the boxing ring. We want him to fall down facing the camera. Uh, you know, two times. The second time he gets back up or whatever. The first time, I guess, maybe he gets back up. Uh, you have all these camera setups and you're trying to block shoot this fight. However, the problem is the director, Jamie Sadler, comes and says, hey, problem, is, you know, so now we have to put makeup on and makeup on again, makeup on. And then now he switches this new angle, reset all the makeup, bring him back to clean. But now this blood is staining him and this is torn and this, you know. So unless you have 10 cameras, it's like hard to do all that and you're lit and you have a budget to light in a way where you can go 360 and all that stuff so if you're like hey let's do this overhead angle and the first time he falls down it's like he walks out and he gets not he gets punched in the face he falls to the ground all he has is like a little bruise on his cheek but the same thing happens again in round 10 and now his face is like totally messed up and it's a relatively wide overhead shot yeah maybe actually just shoot the bruise and then in vfx match that like totally messed up face so you don't have to spend two hours on makeup and then another 20 minutes undoing it and then two hours again later so i think it's shot specific Uh, jamie if you want to send me your shot list i'm happy to give you my input as a vfx artist but to matt's point you do like plan it out not just in terms of how the sequence edits together but also in terms of what order you shoot it in and it's like maybe maybe allow yourself one or two full makeup resets and, uh, you know, and do it that way or allow yourself coming back to a shot two or three times. So, Hey, so like you said, you know, we have three stages of the fight. First stage, we do this. And then for special parts, like the end of the fight, the end of the stage or whatever, we use VFX to bridge our, um, ourselves to the next phase. So, yeah, so it's, it's always a puzzle that that's really hard to figure out. But, um, I, I do think VFX, cuts and blood and things like that on faces nowadays is pretty easy to do um sure easier than it used to be for sure so i wouldn't i wouldn't like ruin my entire shoot schedule to avoid it right right well and i think maybe you you bring up the point of like uh reset time right if we're talking about say blood capsules in a mouth spitting blood easy cleanup you know just towel them off and then go ahead and do it again um, but it sounds like, Oren, what we're really describing is the difference between Hong Kong-style shooting and coverage, basically. Right? Like, Hong Kong, you know, back in the day when you shot a Kung Fu movie, you shot it, you picked your shots. You shot in order, and it took two days to shoot a cool fight scene, you know? Yeah, and you shoot it all outdoors with, like, a yeah. bounce board and a couple of big lights. Yeah, yeah, and Jackie Chan just, um, you know, did the take 30 times before it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a thing or, to think about, though. Or right? American style, like the attack it with manpower is, well, they probably have manpower in the Far East as well, but uh, is, you know, let's get five cameras. And so let's, for a sequence like that. And it's actually a, a solution I've been pitching a lot lately, uh, especially when the problem is like, hey, how, are you worried that we're going to get through this all day? And, and I'm always like, well, there's one way we can get through it, not a hundred percent faster, not twice as fast, but about 20% faster as if we add a second camera and yeah, yes, we have needed an operator and a camera assistant and 
another camera body, but we can probably share lenses. So that's that's why you know you shoot with multiple cameras, so you don't have to do seven makeup presets. Pros and cons for sure, but but certainly think about that, uh, Jamie. Um, well, awesome. Great question. Yeah, yeah, love it. It's fun to get a first good one question too. we've gotten. <laughs> I challenge our listeners to send us a better question. Let's finish up the last one, our last topic, the long game. Uh, Orin, this is a thing. This is something that you and I talk about all the time, and and really boils down to the question of like, how long are we going to keep doing this, and in what ways does our career need to grow and change in order to maintain our lifestyles and continue to be hired and to continue to be competitive? And what are the alternatives? Yeah, basically? and to get real zeitgeisty with it, like, how does your mental health come into play as well? I think people are realizing that that is actually kind of important. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Certainly like the uh, IATSE has kind of been exploding with like the number of hours that crew members work and directors are lucky in that we don't work nearly as physical or as long typically uh, on a shoot day. Yeah, on a shoot day. Yes. Yeah, so there's that. There's the physical manual labor of it, but there's the emotional stress i think we are you know we're pretty <laughs> pretty high on the list of the stressed out people and we do a ton of work in order to get an opportunity to work so we work a lot for free you know we have like high, kind of higher risk higher reward model of freelance work we're pitching a lot and we're not always landing what we pitch and so i saw someone on twitter say the other day if you're not depressed right now what the fuck is wrong with you which I thought was such a good tweet because I think it's the state of the world or at the very least people on Twitter right now are are scared about Delta. They're wondering what's happening with everything, with politics, with climate, with work, with rent, our relationships with other countries and stuff. And so it made me think like when I'm right now, I'm in the middle of a, of a pitch on a commercial against pitching against two or three or four other directors. I don't know. It's a fairly competitive job pitch. And I have a lot of stuff going on in my life between being sick and kids being sick. And, you know, you have a lot of stuff going on in your life. Like we all have these life things that are going on. We've been doing a lot of living in the last six months. Especially if you have kids or you have a family or you have sick relatives or you have, you're trying to make moves unrelated Mm -hmm. to work. Or you're Um, paying attention to the world at all, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, there's the fear from Delta, from politics, from all this stuff. Like we have a this weird recall election coming up that's like stressful just thinking about it, um, you know, plus work. And I think like, well, when when I'm like so distracted from like working on my treatment or figuring out my pitch or coming up with a good, clean idea for this, like are the people I'm pitching against also having the same anxiety or are they all young bucks that just graduated film school and are filled with a million ideas and can spend 23 hours a day pitching. And, and that stuff does kind of get me down sometimes because I think I I can't for the next 30 years, I can't just always be competing against people that are spending 20 hours a day, you know, pitching um, without any other, life stuff or stress or anxiety going through. And I I think a lot of that is in my head. I think everyone has life stuff and anxieties. And if it's not kids or sick pets or uh, political stress or whatever, then it's something else. But, um, but it, but it does make me question a lot, like how long I can maintain this. And if if there's like, even the, the very successful directors we know that have been on this show that have directed episodes of TV or directed some movies, like, when they are in their 60s and 70s, like, I don't know that they're going to be getting the call to come direct the next episode of, you know, whatever. Whatever new TikTok show there is. Yeah, yeah. Queen's Gambit is, you know, yeah. at that point. Well, it's funny that you bring up Queen's Gambit because that guy has been... That's Scott, Scott Frank. Frank. That's a Scott Frank show. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so that, that's Scott the goal, Frank. Right, yeah. yeah. And I bet you Scott Frank also owns like 10 houses in LA and it's diversified. You know, you see all these like megastar celebrities that invest in gin companies you know Mm -hmm. you're like yeah it's because they know that at some point the phone is going to stop ringing and they're not going to be a movie star anymore still make money yeah so there's a couple things that we're talking about right i I think that there there's the the question maybe the most forefront for me is like 
you know, yeah, there's a handful of 65-year-old directors out there, but there's not that many, and there's not that many doing what we do specifically. And I think that a few things happen. Either they end up finding a different line of work and just kind of tapping out because it's not worth it, or they end up leveling up and they're making Super Bowl commercials every year. And, you know, there are plenty of agencies and production companies that all have, like, older clients who have such incredible reels that they're continuing to book up all that work and that, that and that number continues to shrink right like but but i think that there's going to be the cream of the crop commercial directors specifically who are just like cranking out a couple huge spots a year but what's important about that is that like that still is finite there's not that many people doing it budgets continue to shrink and so it, your plan can't be the most successful commercial directors right like to be one of the top 10 like top 10 or even, even, even top 100 top 100 yeah there's no more than 100 super bowl commercial directors i would say yeah but even think of someone that's directing like a jack-in-the-box spot or some other big high level thing maybe it's not a super bowl spot but some national broadcast spot or an episode of you know, blackish or an episode or, you know, you know, or a movie like a horror movie for Sony or something and eat $10 million. Like, you know, not the a plus list, but the like a minus or B plus list, you know, a minus I'd say, um, work like just, I think, think really the a, a list, not a plus. I think yeah. oftentimes when people say a list, they really mean a plus. Yeah. Like the difference you between a hundred million dollar movie and a $12 million movie. Right. 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 Yeah, um, that's still a list. A twelve million dollar movie is still yeah. a list. I would say. Yeah. But then, like, think about a sixty-five year old director, right? This person has a kid in college, two other kids. You know, they have a mortgage payment and car payments and all these things, all these obligations to go to their kid's graduation. Now, this person, let's say they get a one-day commercial shoot, they need to make thirty thousand dollars on that shoot to maintain their lifestyle. And now let's think of like the Gen Z or the 23 year old that just graduated from AFI has some awesome shorts. Like one Sundance has like two great specs and some amazing TikTok video or whatever. That person needs to make like $3,000 on this shoot day, like literally a 10th to maintain their lifestyle. And they have none of these, like they can say, Hey, sorry, I'm not going to go camping this weekend. Cause I got a treatment. I'm going to work on this. You know, they can cancel their life in a way that this thirty thousand director can't. Dollar director can't. So if you are the client or the agency, and you're not doing a Super Bowl spot, like you don't need a celebrity director. Like who do you hire? Don't you hire the younger one every single time? It's less that. It's more like who's going to put in. Who's going to have a better pitch? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the optimistic like meritocracy version. No, I think it's all. the other way around. Because I, I, I don't. I think that they're. Ageism certainly exists, but I think it's a little less transparent than like, oh, they're too old. But what you're saying, Oren, is that this person who is 65 needs the money more, has less time, is has has had less time for the last 25 years to learn what the cool trends are, you know, has out-of-date cultural references, can't relate to the... 30 year old let's not even let's not even let's take from a creative standpoint let's say that they're equal you know like well they they don't need to be disconnected but here's the thing the the 65 year old probably has a better reel right like that's the thing that experience gives you is like a but it has to be recent like if you shot if you directed that got milk commercial um or not, or where's the beef or whatever, or pop Alka-Seltzer, pop, pop, fizz, 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 like these giant goliaths of but commercial history. But you didn't history. stop shooting in between then and now. No, but I, I've, I've been on rosters where there's other directors that have incredible spots, like multi-million dollar car commercials that can't yet yeah. work because they left to do a feature and write a script and do this. And now they came back five years later and now... Their four by three commercial, which is a five million dollar commercial, doesn't stand up compared to like this really cool Samsung Galaxy spot. I do watch uh, like younger creators just with like a DSLR, just like just throwing the camera around. Do you know what I mean? Like they're they're doing martial arts, like they're like airbending with this camera, yeah. and they are just gonna and they're hopping on a plane and flying to you know 
whatever. It's more you know, it's why more, to shoot something real quick. It's more like, oh, you're just phone. doing the craziest camera moves anyone could have imagined ten years ago because you can just hold it in one hand and toss it into the other and then stabilize it in post. You know, and that 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 line of thinking I think is really interesting, you know, because there are certain shots where we would be like, Well, okay, you would need Technocrine to do that, and you know the guys delight it and all this stuff, and yeah, you know, I guess I'm like one this, little bit of that. I'm talking about like one level removed from that, like one level removed from the who has the better idea, or who's like more interesting, more creative, more connected to the zeitgeist or whatever, like knows what's going on. I'm talking about, let's say, sixty-five-year-old director has this really great pitch, these cool match cuts, this thing. They they just saw this awesome sequence in a music video, and they you know. Well, I'll say this. You can't, I don't think that they, an agency will pitch, you'll get pitched if they can't afford you. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you know what the quote is, you know what the rate is before you get started. Right. So this person that needs $35,000 a day now is like, okay, well, if I can get a few of these $15,000 jobs, I can get three $15,000 jobs, you know, then I'll be better now. And they're, they're kind of working their way down. And like, I, I, I think this is what, worries me you know because there are so many amazing people that are throwing their iphones around getting these amazing camera moves which you and i can do too in a 65 year old right like and do yeah yeah i've seen you know you watch ridley scott like he he does he's not afraid of like he doesn't sure, limit technology himself. or something, something yeah like yeah but here i'm gonna read you from this email i got the other day this is a they're looking for directors to direct a commercial for this very big food company like a very famous food company. everyone's heard of them uh, director criteria experience working with children vignette heavy no di- dialogue diversity diversity is encouraged and then we have talked a little bit about how it might be cool to have someone from gen z direct the commercial this is not mandatory but worth mentioning in case you have some super young talent on the roster and this might help with budget too and is for that some why reason, you um is that why you bought that bucket hat <laughs> yeah um i have been yeah. meaning to compliment you on your crocs Oren. yeah my crocs i yeah, that's uh, why I've been jumping on milk crates. I, I don't even know what <laughs> young people do. Um, but uh, but yeah, the 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 but the, thing is the description is saying like, hey, let's get a young hotshot that we cannot pay a lot of money to. And there is this attitude. I I think you know here they literally say it out loud, but that is a thing in the mid level of professional directing. Where well, what we're really talking about is why we need unions is really what we're talking about. But how does a union, if you're a DGA, how does that, how does that get you? There uh, are rate minimums. Yes, there's rate and minimums. And pension but, plans. But you're still competing. I mean, the commercial minimum, what's the DGA commercial it's minimum? Not bad. It's not bad. But, but what, we're, what you're talking about, though, is protecting the amount of money that a director is quote-unquote worth. So if you're saying that a 65-year-old director and a 25-year-old director both are creatively equal... You're saying that the production company is looking to underpay one of them and believes that they can do that with a Gen Z person. That's the point of a union, that a director should be, there's a there's a bare minimum that we should all be able to make a living on. So the, the minimum is $1,527 for a day. For a, a commercial? No, it's not. I mean, they. I think they're supposed to pay you for every day you work. So if you're working for a week, the minimum is $6,108. It's still... You know, who knows how they make those numbers work out. Jordan Brady, who we know is DGA and does almost all DGA stuff, as far as I know, always talks about how he effectively makes like $4 an hour or whatever. So I I guess I, I'm not saying I'm not complaining about this system. I'm saying if you look at your own career and you think obviously in every career, it's not just in filmmaking, um, but it, a lot of careers when you're on salary, when you work for a corporation, you're building, putting money in a 401k and an IRA, you're building towards retirement, pension plans, all those things that as freelancers, we don't really do as much. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Are, we are responsible to ourselves for that. And like, it's easy when things are flush and not when they're hard. Yeah. And so, I mean, one way that you can get around that is really specializing in things, right? Like you're in the best tabletop person in the world and it's not like a place that a ton of people compete i could see hiring an 
a 70 year old tabletop director because there's just incredible there's just no know. one else who does it yeah yeah well so so the other thing that we you had mentioned is diversifying and i think that that's worth talking about a little bit as well right because you know we are doing specialized work and i think that ageism is a is a problem and all all of the things that we're talking about i don't think they're going to go away or they're going to get solved anytime soon but the the question i keep asking myself is like well do i want to just keep doing it this way you know there were people you brought up ridley scott who's not afraid of embracing his you know this or that or the other most of the big big commercial directors that we admire and most of the you know film directors that we admire all started companies they all have their own they're scot free there's a development arm there's a production arm they are the they have leveraged their success and turned that into a systematized machine that builds passive income for them. Right. So that that's one one real popular that's, way to that's do it. That's truly making it in Hollywood. When people say making it, it's not whether you have a good movie or a bad movie. Getting it to Sundance or having a number one movie at the box office, those are all awesome things. But like passive income based off of the credibility of your name is really in my mind what making it is anyhow we love our lives and our jobs and you should uh too yeah just shoot it everyone <laughs> you want to jump over to unpaid endorsements let's do it unpaid endorsements i've got a uh, a callback actually to um, oh, congrats for an audition yeah 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 i uh play um Tired Man, number two. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm hoping Tired Man, number one, gives me a line. Um, no, I, Allison Akel, who was in our development week or month from a few years ago, recommended TikTok. And I remember being like, mm, okay, that's cool. And I, I downloaded it and I was like, oh, this is um, going to consume all of my life and I can't, I can't deal with it. And just thought it was for young people. And all of that is mostly true. But what I'm really getting at, the thing that I've learned that I have fallen in love with TikTok is that TikTok is weird. No, that's the stuff that gets the press. You know what I mean? Like when people talk about TikTok, they talk about like like a, a family of gorgeous people dancing and in, you know, matching outfits or whatever. And that stuff is cool. But uh, TikTok also offers the promise of an older version of the Internet where like like I'm into like pool cleaning TikTok I'm into uh, like weird glimpses into other people's lives. I followed a channel recently where a guy just like uses a super powerful magnet to fish out stuff from murky rivers. There's like a, a some Irish twins who clogged pop songs like 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 river dance basically to like Green Day or whatever. It's so weird. It's so strange, and millions of people are watching it, and it just again, reminds me of the promise of the internet where it was like, oh, you can just kind of do your own weird thing and maybe people will like it and maybe it will lead to something. And that is, I'm glad to have back in my life, basically. Yeah, I kind of hate it. I mean, I find myself watching videos about how I can save on my car insurance like halfway through until I realize it's an ad like over and over and over. That's my TikTok experience. I mean, it's there, it's sure. cool. It's cool. It's a lot of people dancing. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that if you kind of start showing TikTok what you like, you get weirder and weirder things. I, you know, I get a lot of like, okay, let me stop you right there. Okay, let's break down the logical fallacy of this anti-vaxxer. You know, right? And that yeah. I find quite grating, even though I agree with them. And there's that TikTok voice, that. which is pretty interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very confusing. Step to me. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go first. Anyway. Well, I'm going to endorse, now that Matt's introduced you all to TikTok, I'm going to have an equally <laughs> Weird dumb, tic- I guess dumb I'm endorsement. I opened my mind back up to TikTok, and it was worth it. And if you're curious and like dipped your toe in the water and you're like, I don't know if this is for me, give it another shot. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. If you have a treatment to write, a pitch to mm-hmm. develop, and you want to waste your time, TikTok. There you go. <laughs> Put it on your there phone. You go. Uh, th- I mean, I I actually watch a lot of TikTok, and that's that's why I'm so mad at it. Um, I just used. You probably used this before, but have you ever used Evercast? No. Uh, it's like is that like Evernote? No, it's like a remote video editing software. No, interesting. Tell me more. Yeah, I just did like an, a remote edit session yesterday, and 
I got a link and it's like click here and it opened it up in Chrome and it's this it's called Evercast and the editor was using it and I could see his screen and he could channel the audio from his edit session right into my like I could hear it super clear and it played in real time and it prioritized the video from his avid you know mm, over everybody that's else's cool. video that's great and we had like some you know creative people in there like a the copywriter and the art director and the producer and it's kind of like zoom also but you can watch the edit and then they can share their screen and i have not done a lot of remote editing it's mostly been like frame io here here's a cut give us some notes and then i'll be like can i just get the footage and then i'll edit some stuff and i'll send it off i'll be like can you do this but with evercast i can actually see the edit like i'm watching and you know and, and do you like it better do you feel you feel into it like have I you like embraced it way it? better than like just watching a zoom link on my own but i think it costs money yeah it looks kind of expensive but i think you could probably get a free demo if you're working on like a short or something small and you want to edit with someone remotely uh check it out evercast.us i had a really good experience with it um only in that it's like so simple and it worked and i didn't need to install any other software to be able to work with our editor on a cut. That's pretty nice. Awesome. Okay. Well, Oren, marathon. That's all she wrote. Maybe our longest episode ever. No. Thanks for listening, everyone. Dude, it we've feels done like it. many over two-hour episodes, but clearly you're bored with uh, with my complaining. Huh? huh? Action. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you want to drop us a line, maybe recommend a therapist to, or a financial planner to either of us, you can... Uh, Email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com um, or across all social media at justshootitpod. You can find me at Mr. Matt Edmo. And I'm at OKaplan on Instagram, at SmiteyPileg on Twitter. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. It's all, that's the whole, that's the whole that, team. That's the whole team right now. Adding more soon. So yes, don't forget about I've, our patreon.com slash justshootitpod. Yeah. For those of you that didn't email us about social media manager stuff, we will get back to you. Uh, thank you. And um, yeah, that's all there is. The music you're listening to is from the artist Jazar. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.